Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host for the last several years, Patrick Egan, and as we always do, let's say a big hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick. I just want to wish all of our listeners out there Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever your deity is. I hope that your holidays are merry. I like that how you cover everyone. You're such a nice guy, Gene. That's what I like about you. <laughs> One of your many qualities. Um, of course. You know, I'd be like, hey, you know, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, hey, Gene, are there uh, any news stories out there that caught your attention? But uh, let's oh. think, uh, the internet's broken. In the yeah, well, yeah, the internet is definitely broken this morning over that that whole Gatwick Airport drone thing, and um, you know it, it's finally kind of come to roost. And I, you know, I, this could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing for us. But uh, you know, there you go. That's uh, that is what it is. And uh, we're going to have to see how that unfolds. Well, I'm not. I don't think it's hobbyists. I mean, it, yeah. I, well, no, I agree with you. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. You know, when they when they call out the army, yeah, I'm not saying I think the the hobbyist thing yeah. is over. I mean, they're saying yeah, pretty much. It, it could go on for another day. Huh? <laughs> what they, uh, yeah, it's not really a laughing matter, but it shows. I think what it shows, in my estimation that I've been tweeting out about this morning, is is that it's time to move away from the, let's say, toy company thinking, um, and let's get some, some serious, let's get the adults in there. And there are there is equipment and there are solutions, and I've been talking to people. We, we heard a great presentation at the Pancake Breakfast slash Drone Symposium from Jeff Parisi, RAS Security, real eye-opener. And there are technologies that work, but uh, these facility managers are saying it's too expensive. I mean, you know, the other thing I tweeted out is, like, what do you think this is going to cost the insurance companies uh, over here at Gatwick? I mean, can you imagine the losses? I mean, per hour or per minute even, it's going to be astronomical. Insurance companies are going to be holding the bag. 110,000 people delayed or affected by this. The economic impact, and there is the key, the economic impact is going to be huge on this one. I know. Well, well and it, it ought to be interesting. I think things are going to start, to, the, the cogs are going to uh, start uh, rolling on this one. But we could do a whole show on that one, and I don't want to get too caught up on it because we have uh, – today's show is going to be kind of exciting. Um, I think it's also going to be kind of fun. Uh, in the sense that uh, everyone on the call has got uh, some experience with uh, standards. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Gene, is I found the time capsule from the uh, kickoff ASTM meeting in Reno 2005. You remember, right? You were there. Oh, yeah. Okay, the time capsule was a little, uh, took the wind out of my sails. Um, I found the RCAPA proposed guidelines or the uh, that we brought with airworthiness and ops and all the rest of that. That was in the folder. Some notes were in there. Some uh, some business cards of folks that were also there who were still still also part of this effort. And the other one, the big surprise was, and you probably remember this. Remember we got the rah rah speech about F-37 and how quick that happened. Oh, yeah. And by of course. This was the best thing since sliced cheese. Yes, I remember, remember that well. Okay. Well, do you know who it was that gave the Ron Ross speech? Yeah. Probably. Go ahead. It was Earl Lawrence. He was the he was the chair of F-37. I, I, you know, I, I was like, wow, no kidding. I didn't, it didn't, I, you know, I didn't recognize him uh, when I saw him in person, but uh, wow. Okay. So to say that, you know, people didn't know or whatever, I, I think that's not very plausible. But anyway, don't want to go down that rabbit hole either, which all of these conversations <laughs> always go that way because there's, there's so much, you know, 
information. But anyway, I want to bring on our guests because we're going to talk uh, talk about standards. And um, you know, the, the, these two authored a uh, paper called "Dysfunction in UAS Regulatory Decision Making." Uh, we have Suzette Matthews. Hi, Patrick. Howdy, and we have uh, Frank Frisbee. Um, That's me. Howdy, guys. <laughs> hey, how's it going? And so, you know, the, you guys wrote this uh, this paper, and uh, I want to I want to get into it. And again, like I said, you got two guys on the phone or or on the show here that have been working with the ASTM since kickoff 2005. But before we get into, let's say, the, uh, the down-to-the-meat-potatoes of this conversation, um, you guys have both long and distinguished careers in aviation, and uh, what we usually do is ask the guests to give a little bio of how they became involved with UAS. And maybe, uh, Suzette, you could, you could start, and then... Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay, so first I'm an aviation attorney. I uh, practiced almost 40 years in various aviation sectors. Um, first I represented airlines, and then 20 years I was the general counsel of the Air Traffic Control Association. And then 10 years I was contract support to the FAA's Joint Planning and Development Office, the JPDO. And they were – the JPDO was um, – was the organization that was designing the air traffic control system for NextGen. Um, today I'm a principal of a company, Washington Progress Group, and we pretty much provide aviation thought leadership and consulting. And we do have a couple of uh, concepts under development and prototyping. They're IT concepts that would be useful for UAS and other aviation sectors. And we have one that we might be able to talk about in about three months. It's it's well, proprietary, but we're we're we've got it under development. It's a risk analysis tool, but we can talk about that maybe another day. Oh, yeah, I got involved in yeah, I got involved in UAS issues as a result of a collaboration I had in JPDO with a small company named Amtech, and that the company that was owned by my partner Karen Robbins. Amtech was the, you may remember this. Amtech was the business manager for Unite. And Unite yes. was the industry consortium partner to NASA's Access 5. So we go way back. Oh, good. Um, yeah. We could probably yeah. do a whole other half hour on Access 5 because, well, that's another story how I got on the uh, on the NASA poo list. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. That's okay. So Access 5, as you know, morphed into RTCASE 203. Okay, then later in, later in, in its life, the JPDO was tasked with the job. Congress told FAA to write a UAS national plan. So JPDO was tasked with that job, and we wrote a plan, goals and objectives, and a research agenda, and I had a significant role in that activity. So then from there, I came out into the private sector, and, and we've been doing thought leadership since then. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're going to, we, we could probably do a series because, uh, you know, I, I had brought up the Access 5, well, I call it kind of a, I don't know if I want to call it a debacle, that might be too harsh, but I brought that up when NASA launched the UAS in the NAS program and asked about the scope of that, and when they told me how big the scope was, I said, you know, uh, I'm having flashbacks from the ghost of Access 5 past, yeah. and I don't think you're going to have enough money to, to do everything you want to do. And, um, you know, uh, I got labeled disruptive, but uh, it looks like <laughs> I may have been correct on that. Yeah, uh, it, it was a failed activity. Okay, Frank, Frank also was involved in that. Maybe Frank wants to tell you about his involvement. Yes, come on, Frank. Let's hear, let's hear you want, your, you want me to tell you about my experience with a with a failed activity? No. Uh, so, so, so my my background is principally uh, uh, my background comes from FAA. I spent uh, uh, most of my life uh, working for FAA, and and at one point I was responsible for uh, all of the ground infrastructure in in, in the NAS. Uh, and uh, it, it was a, a heady time. I like to say it was okay when I left. But uh, I, I left uh, FAA, went into the private sector, and, and uh, found myself at Northrop Grumman. And that's, that's when I got 
sort of bitten by the UAS bug because uh, we had the global hawk and uh, the the expectation uh, we had and I had was that that global hawk would be uh, the kind of vehicle that would um, facilitate integration into the NAS by virtue of the fact that uh, it, it could have all the bells and whistles necessary okay, to participate in, in uh, positive air traffic control. Uh, so uh, so I, I was there at Access 5 really because of, of Northrop Grumman. And, and since then, uh, I've, I've been very interested in, in, in UAS. I, again, I had the mistaken idea that uh, the UASs would come in from the, from the top down and I think mm-hmm. I and and a, a lot of people, including the FAA, were very very surprised that uh, the, uh, the tsunami uh, uh, came in from from the bottom. So, uh, so I, I work with uh, Suzette on the Washington Progress Group, and uh, and <laughs> we we stand on the sidelines and and try to make sense of everything that's going on. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, um, Frank, because. Uh, I was the guy, and I, I mean, I can't believe we didn't, we haven't crossed paths. You know, we must have at some point, all of us, because, you know, I was on the small UAS arc that they stood up, and I and I uh, represented the RCAPA, the Remote Control Aerial Photography Association, which Gene was also a member of, and I was the guy, you know, who was at the NASA meeting who said, hey, man. What are you guys going to do when the $1,000 Chinese UAV shows up? And this was circa like 2008 or 9. FAA, uh, NASA, DOJ, DOD, the whole gang. Um, and they tried to laugh me out of the room. You know, never going to happen. Chinese will never be able to uh, build anything as sophisticated as a UAV or UAS or, you know, whatever you wanted to call them, depending upon where we are in the timeline. Um, not happening. Um, even what's going on now with the armed UCAS. I called that back in 2011. I was laughed out of the room. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Never going to happen. So anyway, it, there were a lot of people who thought it was going to be the big step. But uh, guys like me and Gene knew that uh, you could, you could, uh, the, the little stuff was cheap enough that people could go out there and operate. And and we did tell them, you know, there's going to be, when the $1,000 Chinese UAV shows up, there's going to be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of these aircraft in the air. And they laughed that off. But that's going to be a story for another time because we, you know, this, again, this, this show could probably go hours. Um, and, I, you know, I wanted to get into the paper that, uh, that, that I mentioned the title of. And it, it looks like, I, you know, I, I say a lot that there are, there is dysfunction in the process. People think that I'm a little bit of a, a Debbie Downer on, on drums, and I'm not, because Gene and I, and Gene is one of the guys I use as an example, who has been using, like, uh, these small unmanned aircraft for search and rescue now. How many years, Gene? It's going on 15 now, Patrick. 15 years. You know, Gene was the guy that helped the FAA uh, put up their, their website for the COA. Right? Wasn't that Eugene that helped them put that together? I, I did the debug over the weekend before the release, and uh, that was me trying to break it. Yeah, sure did. So, you know, um, we've been involved in this. We knew this was this this was going to work, blah, blah, blah. And, and the thing that's really kind of, um, let's say, gotten me down over the years is the dysfunction has put a break on the wheel or broken the wheel, uh, which I call the regulatory wheel of suffering. So, you know, Suzette, let, let's talk from your perspective. You're, you're obviously seeing dysfunction in the process. What, what, what's, what's your 30,000-foot uh, view uh, of this? Okay. Of this All right. So, I mean, I think it goes back to the inception of flight almost. In the past, you know, FAs relied primarily on industry consensus to develop prescriptive standards and specs, which it then approves. But you know, this works because standards are incremental improvements on systems that evolved from the inception of flight and prove themselves acceptably safe through operation. And all of those technologies default to the human operator as the ultimate fail-safe. That's the thing. 
But UAS are an entirely new category of vehicles and are incredibly diverse in form and capability. They're really intended for automated or autonomous operations. That's the business model. And mm -hmm. so the historic reliance on humans as the fail-safe doesn't apply anymore. So this is a huge theoretical leap for FAA. There's no theoretical base for incremental safety assessment and approval on the UAV as there is on a, a manned flight. So FAA has hoped and hopes to rely on manufacturers and potential operators to propose the standards. In theory, traditional prescriptive standards, they like the prescriptive standard. That's what they're used to. And to give them the data to base on which to base the standard. But this it hasn't worked. It's been, as you know, from Access 5, goes all the way back, trying to do something that seems like it's impossible. And uh, we think an entirely new uh, standards paradigm is needed, okay? The other thing is there is, there is decisional dysfunction. And I think it, it's got a base that I'm not sure you can solve in government, and that is that the benefits of a timely positive safety standards decision, FAA, a timely approval of a safety standard would benefit the UAS manufacturer and the operator, okay, to the outside world, whereas the government decision maker making that decision bears all the consequences of a bad standards decision, for example, if there's a mishap. So mm -hmm. if you look, the incentives for the decision maker are all on the, are on the side of avoiding the decision, or if really pushed, they try to find a way that they try to find a way to say no because that's the safe thing to do. Boy, did right. we ever know that one? <laughs> well, um, I, I agree with a, a, a lot of what you're saying. Um, you know, I I looked at this okay in the early days, and I did do I did RTCA too, and some of this dysfunction that I saw being a participant of both efforts were something where, you know, okay, F-38 or ASTM is the blast effort. We're all going to work there. Oh, wait, hey, wait a minute. We don't have as much. We don't have our hand on the tiller, so now we're going over to RTCA, and we're going to do SC-203. And you guys probably know uh, Johnny Walker. You guys know John, right? Yes. We, we know yeah. Johnny. <laughs> we know him very well. He's he's a nice guy, and you know, and, and I can't say anything you know bad about him. But what I am going to say is, I think that the uh, he the FAA had too much hand on the tiller over at RTCA, so much so that I think the the, the boat was going in a circle, and uh, they got nothing done. The other upshot, even on the ASTM effort, and I was at the NASA UAMGC, which was just up here in um, Seattle. You know, and they were sitting there going, oh, you know, standards are the way, man. Standards. We're going to use standards because standards work so fast. And blah, blah, blah. And I got up on the phone, on the microphone. And usually when I come to the phone, the microphone, the room goes silent. And even in this instance, I went, da, 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 when I got up to the mic. And I asked, I said, okay, FAA, how many standards, how many drone standards, after almost 14 years of work, how many drone standards have you guys adopted? And I'm sure, you know, the answer was none. So, uh, you know, like when, when they talk about how fast the standards can be and how agile and all the rest of that stuff, um, from my perspective, in this case, it's a misnomer. And, and maybe for some of the reasons that you discussed, Suzette. You know, I yeah, know. And I, I think prescriptive standards, you know, prescriptive standards are not going to work in this context. Okay, I mean... What we've been advocating for, because, you know, your UAS is, UAS is so diverse in their forms, their capabilities, how are you going to write a prescriptive standard? So, Frank, we've, we've sort of focused on this thing called the target level of safety for the airspace, so that if you have a vehicle, a UAV that's going to operate in a particular airspace, you want to match that, the capabilities of that, the standards and the capabilities of the aircraft to the safety level in that airspace. Right. And... Um, Right. So, and that's and that would be a certification base. Rather than try to write write a spec for widgets, you say, look, if you're going to operate here, you have to demonstrate to the FA that you have this capability to operate at this level of um, of reliability and 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 uh, uh, integrity. So, for example, if if the air the aircraft um, if you're operating, say, in commercial airspace, 
the prevailing level of safety in commercial airspace at this point is one is uh, one to the minus one to the minus nine, ten to the minus nine, which is what one mishap in ten billion mm-hmm. operation. That's pretty yeah. high. Okay, that. So you 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 know, as the operator of the aircraft, you would have to demonstrate in order to certify an operator in that airspace. You demonstrate that your vehicle can do that. I mean, if you're if you're in general aviation airspace, on the other hand. Which would be it would be like ten to the minus six, I think, or ten to the minus eight, which would be you know one mishap in ten million operations, still really safe, but less. So you would use the target level of safety as a performance, more of a performance standard, just to get away from a prescriptive standard, because you get bogged down if you're trying to do prescriptive standards for that diversity of vehicles, you're just not going to get there. Right, and and I'm I'm all for that because it works for a guy like me. I I never crash. I have a aborted landing or aborted takeoffs and unscheduled landings only. <laughs> <laughs> you just got It's all in how you write the report, you know. But uh, uh, Frank, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, no, no. I I think I think Suzette's on 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 top of it. Uh, I mean, one of the things that that we we've also been. Uh, concerned about are are the uh, the, the border uh, situations the the uh, you know where where uh, one designated part of airspace meets another designated part of airspace okay and and to the extent that there are different standards being applied uh, you know what what happens across that boundary right right well um, you know. The other issue I think that we have with the standards, in the early days, it was all of the big guys and the DOD guys, and they viewed uh, this as something, let's say, I called it kind of the uh, asymmetrical warfare uh, overlay, especially the small stuff. And they really looked at the problem as, as just kind of taking that and applying it to the, uh, to the NAS which was one way of looking at it. Now what I'm seeing is this thing has progressed where you have um, other folks in here who don't really understand aviation, don't really understand how the air, the NAS works, let's say. Um, and they're like software people or toy company people or whatever. And uh, I think that the FAA gives these people too much sway. And it's creating problems. And I, I, I see that in uh, across the board. I see it with UTM. I see it with the uh, airspace integration. I see it with the, let's say, popular drone culture on, let's say, the Internet and social media. Uh, are, do you guys uh, perceive this as an issue or, you know, am I all wet here? Yeah, I think it – I definitely think it's an issue. And it, Frank was just mentioning before – you know, you do one way or another. Even if you're in segregated airspace, you're going to have some. You're going to have a boundary with the NAS. You're going to have an intruder that comes from the NAS. I mean, there are going to be issues that have to be. One way or another, you can't totally isolate. And most of people are going to want to fly outside the UTM airspace. I mean, if they're going to be delivering packages, or you, one way or another, you're coming out of that airspace. So. We did do a paper for AUVSI in, 19, in 2015, which actually talked about what you really need to have in order to integrate with the, with the NAS on the UAV. And, I mean, one of the things, we, we, we felt there were at least three things, and one of them was everybody needs to be able to squawk a position and intent, some sort of ADSB, which we don't have now. Everybody would have to have access to a system-wide information sharing capability, some kind of a comm that went to everybody and everybody could know where everybody else was and share information. And you're definitely going to have to have some sort of, I mean, people, you know, it's, you have a choice between either free flight where everybody pings away from each other or you have to have some sort of air traffic management. And we think you're going to have to have some sort of air traffic management even in the UTM and either it's by exception or by positive control, but you can't, you're, you're going to have so much congestion, you can't just, you can't just fly around, and this comes to the thing that you're talking about, Patrick. There, there are people today who are, hob- you know, these younger kids and stuff, and they think, oh, we're just going to launch it into the air, and it doesn't matter. No, at some point, at some point, there will be so many of these flying around that you you got to have some concept of how you're going to manage it, manage access. access. 
Right. Well, and the other thing is, you know, these cell phone app people are pivoting. And I mean, I understand they have to pivot into relevance because the VC people have put in millions of dollars, some cases hundreds of millions of dollars. And they're doing this. Oh, well, you know, it's not just Lance. And I'm not even a big fan of Lance. I got to be honest with you. I think, you know, we're digitizing, uh, you know, facility maps, airport facility maps. You could have done a better job. But that's another that's a you know another podcast right there, and now the nomenclature or whatever is kind of morphing into this UTM. Oh, it's UTM. No, it's not. It's it's like a uh, an app for a table reservation at a restaurant. You know, did you put the Joneses at uh, table three, or was it the Smiths? Uh, did they show up at seven? Were they here at seven thirty? Um, you know, did the uh, Johnsons come in and take their table? I, I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to bring it down to something that people would understand, but uh, reserved airspace or possibly out there does not sound like a, a an ATC solution to me, you know? Yeah, so, and, so, and, and of course, re- reserved airspace is, is, is strategic. What happens when it becomes, when it becomes tactical? I mean, somehow you've got to have something that manages the tactical aspect of it. And the other exactly. thing is, you do need to have some sort of an architecture for the entire NAS that includes these guys. So Frank, I hear Frank wants to say, "Go ahead, Frank." Well, I just favorite topics. Just, just tempted to say uh, that that much of what I see going on is is what I call motion being substituted for progress. Okay. Yes. Um, I, I would concur with that, and and the changing, you know, it's the same thing with this. The the uh, FAA now says it's beyond visual line of sight. They're given waivers for uh, beyond visual line of sight, and that's not true. It's extended visual line of sight with visual observers, yeah. and you're changing the nomenclature so you can tell I don't know who, you know, that oh we're making progress, and I don't believe it. The other thing with this UTM. Stuff is, you know, we've been after the we used to be seeing a void, now it's detecting a void, and somebody else is talking, you know, sensing a void or whatever you want to call it. I don't care, but I don't think that you're going to have a situation where we can have all of these millions of drones flying around without some sort of vehicle to vehicle communication. There you go, yes, yes, yeah, and, yes. and I'm the only guy talking about certification, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be supportive of the NASA thing, but I got to tell you, uh, we're going to be $87 million in here, springtime with TCL4, and I just looked at the sprint paperwork, and they're talking about, you know, the way we're going to get the, uh, we're, we're going to, you know, shrink the noise down is, is we're going to, you know, uh, pare down the suppliers, and we're going to change the parameters, and, you know, the, then their numbers start getting better. Well, that's that's moving in the wrong direction because, you know, we're talking about the, the estimates here with the drone delivery and everything else and the FAA going hog wild, which I think their their numbers are way overestimated. But, okay, we're going to have a million drones in the NAS. Um, and then Uber is saying, you know, hey, we have to have a 1,000 flights an hour for the flying cars thing to uh, pencil. And we're talking about onesie, twosie, um, you know, flights in urban airspace um, without any tactical detect and avoid it. Just to me, and, you know, again, I'm not an expert, but to me it sounds uh, like the, the program may be a little light on reality. Anyone want to comment on that, or is it too hot to handle? Well, I mean, let me just say that I think you can, you can differentiate. You look at what they do for waivers now. Okay, and, and yeah, okay, they're doing some waivers beyond line of sight, but look where they're doing them. They're doing them in places that are sanitized. Either the, the proponent owns the property or they know that there's nobody there within 50 miles. At some point, you've got to do some sort of a leap, a, a leap in safety, either in standards or some kind of approvals that gets these things operating over the non-consenting public. And that's where your standard comes in, because unless unless you have a standard for how safe is safe enough to operate over the non-consenting people, you're going to be you're going to be stuck with this this thing where you can you can either do within line of sight or what you call extended line of sight, which is what a camera. You're doing the same thing. You still got a pilot. You still got a ground pilot. And at some point, the business model is all about 
programming automated vehicles to do deliveries. You can't have one person, one pilot, one vehicle. It doesn't. The business model does not work. Exactly, and you, and you know what? That that's just the uh, you know aviation economics reality. That you know. Some some people would say, oh, you know, Suzette, you're you know you're being Debbie Downer over here. But the reality is, is you know, a, a guy just gave a presentation at our pancake breakfast. He says you got an A380, you got two pilots, and you got you know hundreds of people here. Look at the the scale. Then you're going to say you're going to have one drone and one pilot. You're going to be delivering packages. I mean, that's never going to work. You know, so. Yeah. You know, it's another conversation. But, you know, real quick, the ADSB, you know, I've been a fan of ADSB for all these years. And the uh, even on the ARC, the uh, FAA, they had some guy come in and he, you know, kind of shot a hose in my balloon, let the air out of my balloon. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, we got two different freaks for GA and one for commercial. It's got to be in, it's got to be out, yada, yada, yada. But I do think that ADSB would be a solution if, um, and it, you guys will say this, but space-based, uh, in and out, both freaks, uh, close up that uh, Bluetooth and wi- or Wi-Fi um, insecurity, and the FAA support a public algorithm for detect and avoid. Good, no good. Suzette, what do you think? Well, Frank, what do you think? Frank's more my technical guy. Right. <laughs> so. So, uh, so I'm an ADSB advocate okay, with an asterisk because uh, the uh, the ADSB depends upon the GPS signal, and the GPS signal, as as we've learned, okay, has its vulnerabilities. So, uh, so so putting that aside, okay, the ADSB out, okay, uh, is is certainly um, a very very valuable. Um, contribution to to air traffic management, uh, you know, quite apart from from UAS. Uh, for the for the UAS, uh, the the only thing I would worry about is that it's as it's presently configured. Okay, I don't think that that there's enough bandwidth to to handle all the customers. Well, that's another conversation. I, I have to be honest with you. I do not believe any of the estimated numbers for what's going on in the NAS. And I believe that almost all of the, and this is controversial, but I believe almost all of the numbers that the FAA puts out on, you know, how many aircraft there are, how many certificated pilots there are, who's doing what, and all the rest of the estimates, I think they've been monkeying with the numbers. And I think it's overstated. Besides 121 and 135, I'm talking about the the GA stuff and drones and all the rest of that. Anyone agree or disagree with that? Well, well, I think I I think it's fair to say that uh, they define those categories uh, uh, to uh, to to suit the purpose. That's fair, and I would agree with that. Okay, so we went a little bit long. Uh, outstanding conversation. We're going to have to have uh, you guys back on, and possibly even out to the small UASB Expo, Small Unmanned Systems Business Expo in the spring. Uh, this is the type of content that we like. You guys know what you're talking about, um, and that's what we like at SUS News. Now, when the other paper comes out, I'm going to invite you to also, um, if you want to send us over a copy of SUS News, that's probably something uh, that we would like to publish because we like to publish, um, let's say, material that uh, applies to the commercial end user. Uh, so keep that in mind. And I want to thank you guys for being on. Um, Suzette, thank you. Well, thank you, Patrick. We're happy to be here. And uh, Frank, thank you. Appreciate your, your uh, knowledge. All right. Th- thank you, Patrick. Thank you very much. I'm off. Yeah, and just, Patrick, one last thing. I mean, if, if anybody wants, we've got a bunch of papers that go to all these things, particularly – the AUVSI paper is pretty comprehensive about what we think the needs to be done in order to do UAS integration. And let me just give you the website address. Yes, please it's do. www.safeaccess4.com, that's a numeral, UAS.com, and I'll spell it, S-A-F-E-A-C-C-E-S-S, numeral 4, U-A-S.com. 
And uh, it's also, uh, there's a, a, a link to your website and the paper discussed in the description of this podcast. So if people want to go back, they can just hit the link or copy the link, go and read the paper, and then check out your website. Uh, I've been kind of digging through it in the last couple of days, and uh, you guys have a lot of good material there. So I suggest for the listeners they get over there and check that out. Uh, again, thank you guys for being on. We're going to move on to the second segment. And we're going to have to have you guys on again. We'll we'll be talking in the future. So thanks again. Thanks, Patrick. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. All right. And then we're going to move right into segment two with uh, Victor Veligas, who is also known as the drone singer. Victor, yeah. Hey, Pat. Yeah, Patrick, how you doing? Good. Did you learn anything on that last segment? <laughs> um, not not much new. I mean, it's 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 still the problems that we've been having for quite a while. So you know, um, I only got to the tail end of that, but um, again, not surprised. Yeah, it's a uh, you know, I, I mean, I can't. Can I, well, it, it's good to uh, see. You know, we have these people on here that I I can look back and say, you know, well, geez, I guess I'm not crazy. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I want to go that far. Um, you know, I'm not crazy when it comes to the airspace integration thing. But anyway, um, that was that was some good insight uh, on that one. But since it's the holidays and since it's Christmas, I wanted to uh, lighten things up a little bit. And, you know, uh, since the gold diggers broke up, I think, in the early 70s, I said, well, geez, we need we need a little bit of music maybe for to to put us in the uh let's say, holiday Christmas spirit, and uh, it came to music and drums, I'm like, hey, I know a guy. And that's it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, before, that's right. before we get rolling on this, uh, I was kind of hoping that uh, you've been on before, and uh, folks, you know, you've, you've been around in the uh, SNS News ecosystem. However, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've got a lot of new folks since then, and people may, may not remember because they've been busy uh, – drinking eggnog and stuff. Could you uh, please refresh our collective memories on who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Sure. Well, um, so I actually got started back in uh, December 2014. Um, Ooh, old-timer. <laughs> <laughs> One of those, yeah. Um, and back then, you know, um, drones could not be flown commercially. So, um, uh, but there, it was a big popular Christmas item that was coming up, and I wanted to put out a public service announcement, uh, letting people know to fly the drone safely, right? And so I put out my first uh, drone song, Drone Carol, which was a parody based on um, uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas, and I titled it If You Get a Drone for Christmas, and in it, I, you know, talked about flying under 400 feet, stay away from airplanes and airports, uh, respect people's privacy and whatnot. Kind of the same thing that the FAA was doing in their video, if you saw that one. And, um, but, I, you know, a little bit more interesting and uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek also. Um, and that just kind of got picked up by the folks in the drone industry, and I thought that was awesome. They asked me if they could, I could do some more songs. And I did uh, several drone carols uh, that December. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And I've been doing drone songs, you know, for the last uh, four years. Um, I usually take something that's in the news about drones and turn that into a song. Uh, and I try to put in, you know, some type of a safety message in there. Um, so that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, and, you know, uh, and, and some of that is, too, is, is you're also an educator. Uh, yep. And I know you do uh, your into STEM stuff, which we totally support, and this, or STEAM. I'm more of a STEAM guy than STEAM. STEM guy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think the art thing for design and, and even like kind of the stuff that you're doing, whatever else, is very important. Um, you know, some people have even suggested that, uh, you know, we do a road show, you and I, and I do the comedy, and you do the <laughs> yeah. music, be like the, uh, the Dean Martin, you know. Celebrity Christmas show or something. Um, <laughs> although, you know, I uh, 
when I really get rolling, I work a little blue. So I don't know if that would work for us to work together. Uh, yeah, not, not quite. I, my, my audience is, is a lot younger and innocent. So. <laughs> exactly. We're like that. We're the grizzled folks, right, Gene? Oh, yeah, that, that's us, the, the old curmudgeons. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, you, you spend a decade on the regulatory wheel of suffering, and, you know, you can change your perspective on that. Like, I always say that, like, the new kids that kind of come in on this, they have, like, that Disney princess twinkle in their eye. They're all wide-eyed. And oh, you know, there's so much promise with drones, you know, and it's like, yes, there is. Uh, have you been, have you spoken to anyone at the FAA? Well, no, you know, one guy, and he seemed really nice. Okay, get back to me in a year. You know, and usually that gleam is gone by then. But anyway, so you're not. Yeah, well, well, even so, some of my songs are actually a little bit dark, you know, and, and negative, unfortunately. Um, but it's, it's kind of a reflection you know, and commentary on the, the industry. So now it's like you're going to be like the Kurt Cobain of drone songs. <laughs> after a few more years. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I try to put out a, a, a good message and a safety message, but I'm also cognizant of, you know, where we are as an industry and, and where we could be if, if things were a little bit more favorable. And so, you know, I, well, you know I, I talk about all things. And that's my message. I mean, people think that I'm, you know, Debbie Downer, but it's not. I, I mean, I think, hey, the promise is all there, and we're all here, and we're ready to make it happen, and the technology is here, and everything else. It's the, as the uh, title of this show, the dysfunction thing, because uh, that's the real, um, that's the real rub here. It's like if if we didn't, you know, I feel like we're like a rat in a maze. You know, there's a, the A to B mm. one time yeah. thing. I feel like we're in this maze, and we, you know, we just keep running around here looking for the piece of cheese, but we already know where the piece of cheese is. <laughs> right. So you have done that, and and you know, like I said, it's not only Christmas carols. You you've lionized some folks in the industry. You informed people on the uses and applications. You've talked about safety. You've you've used uh, the medium of song, which is you know, a, a, a gift that appeals to almost everyone, song does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like what you're doing there, but I know you have some new songs, and I was I was kind of hoping, you know, that you could do a few verses from a song or two. Um, okay. If, if you got anything, what, what do you got for us? Sure. Well, um, I got one that, that's it's one of my favorites. I've been playing a lot lately when I do uh, workshops or exhibits with kids, and it's called Drones Are Cool. Um, and it just talks a little bit about the technology of the drones, and um, also there's a little safety thing on there. So I've got that one, and i got another Christmas one that's not as positive, but <laughs> it's still a Christmas drone song, right? So I could sing you a, a little bit of both of those. Okay. Let's start with the Christmas one and then end on a positive one when drones are cool. How's that? Okay, take it away. Let me put you on speakerphone so I can actually play my uh, my instruments here. Hold on a sec. Okay. All right. Clear? I hear you. Got it. Okay. So this one is uh, actually the latest drone song. Um, It's called It's Another Drone Christmas, and it's based upon uh, John Lennon's uh, So It Is um, So It's so it's Christmas, right? Yeah. It's another drunk Christmas. And what have you done? Well, another year over. Where's integration? And what about enforcement? How much has been done? Or do we just get buzzy? For education, it's another drone Christmas and another drone year. We have registration, but drones are still feared. It's another drone Christmas for all the drone careers. Where are all the billions that drones would bring? So many drone companies have shut their doors. 
How long can we take this? How many more years? Well, that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, no, uh, you know, that one, uh, yeah, well, we're going to, and we're going to get the, uh, I'm going to get the the website addresses for this, because, you know, that one, you know, while it is, uh, let's say, I'm not going to say it's dark, it's realistic, you know, we we were promised (laughs) a lot of things in this industry, Christmas cast, and uh, I wound up with a lump of coal in my stocking, uh, you know, $80 billion short, you know, so, uh, yeah. and I can't crack the cold joke because uh, that's not family friendly either. But anyway, um, that's good. <laughs> Although your time in the industry is starting to uh, show through. That's what I would say on that. Gene, <laughs> I know. I know. Gene, do you want to positive, so. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's do the positive song. I mean, I, I like that one because I can identify with it so much. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead. All right. Here we go. Um. Let me tell you about drones. Just listen to them sing. They're cool flying robots with awesome technology. Yeah, they have IMUs to help save a life. Some have GPS to guide them in the sky and fly autonomously. Singing, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say it loud. Say it clear. Drones are cool. Drones are cool. If you want to fly drones, please fire responsibly. Stay away from airplanes and airports, yes, indeed. Read the man that threw three with a calibrate, or you might crash and it's too late. Fly your drone, but fly safely. Singing, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say it loud, say it clear. Drones are cool. Drones are cool. Uh, oh, right. Played ukulele to boot. I, I was just gonna say, you know, and they said it wasn't a rock and roll instrument. <laughs> now, that ukulele is definitely uh, more upbeat. Uh, although I, I'm gonna say that I still like the Christmas one better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that, that was for you, Patrick. That was special for you. Thank you, buddy. You know, I, I, that's what I love about this industry is everybody, it's like, you know, we're, we're like one big, uh, you know, campfire circle singing Kumbaya. And uh, that's <laughs> warms my heart. Um, yeah, well, you know, why don't you do this? Could you uh, give us a website? Like, you got a SoundCloud, right, where folks can go and listen to you work? Yeah, the best way um, to get a hold of me is actually on Twitter. So, at Drone Singer, all one word. Um, and then I have links off of there to um, YouTube, where I have some songs on YouTube. I also have on SoundCloud. You, you just Google Drone Singer, all one word, and you, you'll be able to find me. I do have a website, dronesinger.com, um, and, but it's it's very basic. <laughs> but if you Google Drone Singer, you'll find stuff there, stuff that I do, you know, photos and videos, all the, all the good stuff. Well, yeah, and there's, uh, like I said, you know, people should do a little research. Like I said, you're an educator, and you've been uh, working with the kids, and you're doing Steam, and you're, you know, the songs and everything else. And some of the songs are really kind of funny and um, fun, and it's a fun way to learn. So I would Mm -hmm. suggest that folks go over there and uh, check that out. And I want to thank you for, you know, coming on today and uh, sharing some of your uh, Christmas cheer with us. I appreciate the invitation, Patrick. Hey, no problem. We're going to have to do more stuff in the future, too. But, uh, you know, that, that's going to be it for today. Gene, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, – we, we kind of rolled through a lot of that stuff in the first segment pretty quick. But, uh, you know, what, what did you get out of that? Uh, let me tell you, you know, I, I see another form of type certification coming. That's what I got out of it. So we'll just we'll just uh, kind of stop right there, and we'll just call it mm. type certification for unmanned aircraft. 
Yeah, uh, that's kind of the other thing, I, you know, I, I learned over there at the uh, UAMGC, the NASA UAMGC, was, uh, you know, Google and Amazon are, are uh, working on type, you know, or part 135 uh, certification, yeah. Yeah, which uh, mom and pop are going to have real, it's going to be spending. And it's going to be very yeah. hard for mom and pop to compete with that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had talked to people and they're like, well, Amazon's never going to get down to where I'm at. And it's like, oh, really? Because uh, there were a lot of people that said that. And uh, Amazon is gobbling up a lot of the economy in a lot of different ways. Yep. Yep. And, you know, that's okay, whatever, you know, uh, I'm, I'm capitalist, although it's starting to get a little crazy. And then on the Google side, you know, uh, people say, oh, well, you know, no, no, they won't get down to our level. But my thing is, anybody who thinks that, a, you know, Google delivery burrito drone is not going to be bristling with sensors is, uh, I think they're deluding themselves. And I think... <laughs> You'll have B-roll for, you know, your your uh, streaming television. You'll have real estate shots. I think you'll have uh, IR uh, energy surveys, LIDAR, blah, blah, blah. You'll be able to buy all of that stock, and you'll be able to buy it all stock cheaply in the future. Truth. If, if that all happens, and the rest of us will be out. And you know when enforcement's going to kick in? When someone's trying to eat Google and Amazon's lunch. That's my prediction. I don't know. Um, We will see what pans out on this uh, Gatwick thing. I think uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out something else is going on. Boy, you'd have to be a dedicated hobbyist to be flying around for twelve hours. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a a, uh, the T word in there. I think has been bandied about. Uh, you know, it, it, it could be that, or you know, it could be a state operator. Uh, you know, you know how I mean, you were in the Air Force, and when you have, yeah. let's say, uh, potential, let's say, threats to your airspace, uh, stuff starts happening. You know, and yeah. I think uh, you know, I'm not going to go too far out here, but I think we're going to have to deal, dig a little deeper in this deal. It might be a wake up call, and it might be good, but. Probably the last show of the year unless, uh, you know, something else happens. And uh, I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, you know, whatever you do. Happy to you and yours like you did in the beginning of the show, Gene. Um, Do you have anything to say in closing? Nope. Just uh, hope the best for everyone and be safe and be peaceful. I like that idea. Victor, you got anything since you hung in here to the end? You got anything you'd like to say? Oh, just just the same thing. You know, be safe out there and have a good time, but uh, enjoy your family because that's important. So, yeah. I concur with that, sir. All right. Well, everyone, until next time, uh, you know, have a, have a good one, a safe, happy, peaceful, and we'll see you soon. See ya. Take care.